Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 75 of The Team House. I'm Jack Murphy, here with co-host Dave Park. Welcome back from the holidays. I hope everyone had a Merry Christmas, had a Happy New Year, a Happy Insurrection. Things are a little crazy. Welcome to 2021. That's just how it is now. Uh, thank you for joining us. We're here tonight with our special guest, Jeff Depazzi. Jeff uh, is a former Canadian JTF2 operator. So that's uh, Canada's counterterrorism unit. We're always really happy when we have the opportunity to highlight you know, our friends and allies around the world. A lot of people... You know, they, they don't necessarily understand some of the massive contributions that, uh, in this case, our neighbor to the north makes to the global war on terror. I mean, you guys have been all over it. And um, it, it's sometimes a shame how few Americans really realize, uh, you know, the, the, whether it's the Canadians, uh, the Brits, the Australians. I mean, a lot of effort has been put in there. And, and a, lot of, a lot of good men have also lost their lives uh, from some of our allied nations. So, Jeff, I just want to say um, thank you for joining us tonight. Yeah, uh, it's a pleasure to be here, Dave, Jack, um, and uh, thanks for that uh, shout out. It is true, and in the blur that is, I guess, the fog of war, those things do kind of go unnoticed, and then uh, uh, we are one big team um, in a lot of ways at the end of the day. It's awesome. So the way we uh, we usually start off the show is uh, Dave and I, we're big comic book fans, so we kind of ask our guests our guest what their origin story is like were you bit by a radioactive spider uh were you born with uh superhuman powers did you did uh, you have a mishap with a nuclear reactor what led you into the canadian military and and, and eventually special operations well i guess humbly i would have to say i was more of a bruce wayne kind of character <laughs> Uh, no radioactive spiders, nothing like that. Just a normal INTJ uh, fella who came from a uh, a more wealthy family, and through you know life's events, things like that, tragedies, strife, all that kind of stuff. I slowly started down that path of the military, and um, yeah, I would say it was like him sharpening his steel that kind of thing it's kind of weird to you know humbly compare yourself to bruce wayne and the batman but uh you know uh, i would say that would be something like that just a normal guy 
um, out trying to make a difference. Would you be comfortable sharing any of those stories, any of those experiences of kind of what led you down that path from, you know, coming from an, an affluent family and, and becoming, you know, a, a boots on the ground, you know, uh, ass kicker, prof- professional door kicker. I yeah. mean, it's not, not necessarily normal. Uh, I'd just be interested to hear more about like what led you down that path in life. Oh, geez, Jack. Uh, the world of cause and effect, huh? Uh, I, I think some part of it is instilled in me being a, a volunteer to the community, to give back to the community. You know, as a child, that was different than, of course, volunteering for the service. I would say that combined with, oh, sometimes are things gifts or curses, I don't know. Uh, my mother's awareness for global issues and the kind of bigger picture and how that inadvertently gets put down, like placed onto your children, right? Just through discussion, nothing positive, nothing negative about it, just the, 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 the way things unfold and how you raise your children. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did live um, fully out in nature. Uh, you walk on my backyard, where, well, my childhood backyard, and you, you're walking to the Arctic kind of deal. Uh, there's no, nothing but bush and maybe a couple of roads to stop you, you know, so hunting, fishing, survival. Very, very young age, that, that was all me, uh, shooting, you name it that if it, if it involved camo outdoors survivalism i was into it from a very young age and then moving on uh, lots of uh, death loss that kind of thing that i think was handled extremely well and it taught me how to be more resilient in the long run uh, i think that's this is just jeff depotti's opinion it's, it's kind of a lost art parents shelter their kids a lot yeah especially when it comes to death mm-hmm. and it's, it's going to happen, right? It's an inevitable, inevitable thing. And I, and I think having a healthy balance with it, a, a, a healthy relationship with that unknown can lead to good things. I think it did for me. I, it, uh, it helped me be re- more resilient in the long run, especially once I started facing it more in the military. And then, you know, I'm a 40 year old dude now. Uh, that's just a reality of my uh, contemporaries now, you know, people, people are passing on. That's how it goes. Uh, so that's for specific. I know that doesn't really touch on it. Um, but, uh, you insert anything that has to do with extremist behavior in terms of living on the edge, you know, jumping out of planes, whatever that not extremists as an extreme terrorist, but extremists of living on the edge. Uh, that was also there. That was my adolescence, you know, finding my new limits, my new boundaries. And at a certain point, uh, maybe 80s, 90s television, Rambo influence or something like that. But it, there was a natural progression like, oh, I, I have to go to the military. This is the only place I can do that. And then uh, uh, 9-11 um, happened and it was even more of like, oh, yeah, yeah, now there's the urgency even more. got to do this. Um, and one thing led to another, regular army, airborne, infantry, uh, Afghanistan, things like that. And then into the SF and to the top of the tier in the Canadian realm. Now, did you have any interest in the military when you were younger, other than like maybe a, a boyish passing interest? Like, did, did you ever think that you might go that way? Or was it something that just formed at a certain point in time? Man, there, I would love, I didn't, my grandfather was a World War II vet, but he died very young. And the reason I mentioned that is because he was the closest thing to a military person around me. Where I was, there was no bases. There was no direct military influence in Canada. Even uh, promotion of the military is very 
Uh, it's almost, it's like, you don't really see it. There's no billboards. Very, only during Afghanistan was there uh, actually uh, recruiting things on TV. So you don't see it a lot other than through, you know, TV well, you or the, the news. You had the A-team, right? You said 80s TV, so. Yeah. I, I would like to believe it didn't play in on my psyche, but I mean, who didn't, you know, John J. Rambo and Commando and stuff like that, how did it not play in on your psyche or gi joe if you're because when i was in the early 80s i was a kid i was watching cartoons you know and how does that not play in but on the other hand i would like to think that there was a natural calling to it even i i think back to when i was really young playing by myself you know had my little toy guns and stuff like that there was something there already i think there is an innateness to the tools that you use in the military and in some men particularly uh, of course it is in women that just line up really, really well. Cognitive traits, you know, personality traits, physiological traits that like, well, this is the only place you're going to be able to really do this, you know, and use these uh, innate uh, traits you have. So yeah. I, 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 I guess full disclosure, I have a bit of TBI going on. Um, and my memory is from my childhood is like pretty spotty at best. And uh um, yeah, I, so I couldn't recall those details. I'm just trying to ex- extrapolate a little bit, but I would say yes, there's a natural calling, and also maybe potentially some influence from the outside. So when you went into the military, how old were you when you went into the military? Well, I was relatively uh, on the older side, so I was 25 by the time I got in. Oh, you're an old man. So it, it, life got in the way. Um, I had enlisted. I was actually um, enrolling in the American military because at the time i didn't know canada had an sf unit say 99 2000 i was totally unaware of uh, jtf2 it wasn't broadcast anywhere and at that time we were much more of a blue beret kind of society and you know we won't get into the the cons of that but uh there, there you weren't joining the military to be the what i would call the same kind of soldier so I was enlisted in the U.S. and that was, that's actually what, when 9-11 happened, it stopped my application for the American military. The U.S. stopped taking foreigners, uh, understandably. Um, so I was like, okay, let's try recruiting in the Canadian military. Recruitment was way down. They weren't taking too many numbers early on, uh, like when uh, KBAR and all those kinds of things first started up in Afghanistan. Slow application process. And then my dad ended up and to get a hip replacement and I had to take over the family business for a while, you know? So it was like these things that you deem necessary. So it wasn't until I was 25, actually, uh, by the time I got in the military. And I think in a lot of ways, thankfully, I would have been just a little too hair trigger and wild <laughs> any younger, probably. Now for, so you, were you aware of the Canadian special forces at that point in time, or were you just going into the military to go into the military to maybe go the airborne route or whatever? Well, uh, the airborne, like in, in the infantry, even that is kind of like nobody really knows that much about it. Um, that is that was my my plan. Um, no, by this point, the recruiters had um, got me wise to uh, JTF two, and it, as soon as I heard that, it, that's that's where I was going. That's where all my efforts were going. I would do whatever it took to get there. Obviously, there's a lot of sacrifice to climb that echelon um, on you know, family sides, all that time, all that jazz, right? And a lot of efforts that have to be made. And yeah, I just vectored in and then a few years down the road, got through selection and then went through my course and got there. I was getting close to 30 now, you know, just by the way 
uh, workups for Afghanistan and a nine month tour. And you know, you know how it goes. Um, it's never cut and dry and a straight road. Sure. So uh, you enlisted and when you enlist in the Canadian military there, you cannot enlist directly into JTF2. You have to get, spend time in, in the conventional army prior to that. So yeah, there's no x-ray type program nothing like that they are toying around with it for uh CSOR, the canadian special operations regiment you know it's one of those 50 50 i'd like to see it happen although i don't think it's you know if we look at some of the results down south I, and I'm, I'm i'm speaking out of turn a little bit but it doesn't really get all that many numbers in anyways right um like it, it does bring in some people directly off the street but it doesn't really do the job i think that people hope it does so no no there is no direct entry you can do some reserve time and then apply however just like anything if you can't you know you gotta the military will harden you up you know the full-time military is going to do some things that turn you into a soldier mm -hmm. and especially if you go infantry airborne you know pathfinder recce uh you know you volunteer for a ranger course those kinds of things will definitely harden your souls for uh going into the sf selections um so no no there is no direct but I, I i don't know if i i'm on the fence about it when people ask me do you should it be there or not so you went the uh, infantry route, and, and that's uh, the, the path you took in? Yeah, correct. Uh, um, infantry, the second I could start volunteering for an airborne battalion, that's, that's what I was volunteering for. I uh, got there pretty quick, actually, super quick. Um, just by, it's one of those things, kind of, you know, fate had it, where CSOR, the Canadian Special Operations Regiment, stood up. And a lot of the people that went to, to fill in those ranks came from the airborne battalions from the infantry regiments. It's just a natural fit. Uh, those are, you know, your, your light infantry airborne dude is probably going to um, be able to get through those selections a little bit easier. Not saying it's the only ones by, by any means, but uh, uh, so they were, the houses, the, uh, the companies were empty and needing people. So I got in there really, really fast and uh, yeah, did some time there and uh, yeah, I haven't looked back. You said you did some time in the seesaw? <clears throat> no, pardon me, Dave. No, no. Just uh, in the uh, infantry and the airborne, okay. uh, spent some years there you know, volunteering for all the courses I could. We got to do the last, what was called the Airborne Indoc course. Um, so you may may have heard, you know, from the 90s, the Canadian Airborne Regiment. Uh, it was Canada's Special Forces at the time, you know, equivalent of Special Forces. They were disbanded mm -hmm. and their course had stopped being run, but we were lucky enough to run one of the last ones and go through that, you know, like just weeks of suffering in the snow and jumping out of stuff you know hercs and helicopters and uh, bivouacking up but like just a, it was great you know just a lot of suffering for for quite a while um, but again I, I think all those things uh harden your feet for the, the long run now can you sort of break down for us the how special operations in the canadian military works you talk about the seesaw you talk about jtf2 uh, and there's like, can softcom over that. Yes. Right? Yeah. What are the different aspects of it? So basically anything that's in the special forces realm now is housed in can softcom Canadian special forces command, similar to like a SOCOM or a, um, what a JSOC, I think is the other one, if I'm not mistaken. Well, JSOC's kind of broken off from there now, if I'm not mistaken. 
Um, anyway, so it's one command housing, uh, CSOR, JTF, or uh, uh, supporting units, all that kind of stuff under one command. Um, I'm going to insert a little Jeff Depotty opinion here. I think it was a terrible decision before uh, our tier one unit, JTF2, had a direct pipeline to the prime minister. Things were a lot easier to do. And when you add in layers of, you know, conventional wisdom, if you will, it can add in some headaches. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of good things that come with it, you know, your own air command and that kind of stuff. Uh, so the assets that come with that, but very similar um, structure in that way where you have JTF, CSOR, uh, your 427, um, Special Forces Aviation, and a few other support sets and stuff like that uh, housed in one command. It's, 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 it's relatively a small command uh, just because we have such a small military. Um, but it, like I said, it came with some pros, it came with some cons. <laughs> and how does uh, CSOR and JTF differ in, in training and in mission sets? I, I, it all starts with mandate, really. You know, what is that regiment or unit mandated to do? That would be the first thing. And from there down, the next big guy is money and budget, you know, because uh, a lot of creative shooters at all levels willing to do a lot of different cool training, but without the money, uh, you're not going to really do that. And then it's assets, right? So as far as I know, uh, JTF2 is the only other unit uh, in the world that's been dubbed tier one from the uh, U.S., side of the house uh, like seal team six or uh, delta and i think most of the things that make that up are air assets and money uh things like that mm -hmm. that will you know help sharpen the steel of the soldier and give them a little bit more uh tools um the selections are different so now you got your mandate you got your tools and all this stuff you got to work with and now you're going to filter in and shave the ice cube of the people who are coming and the characteristics that are picked for both units are a little bit different again to fill that mandate right you, you don't need certain characteristics to do certain things and then it's filtered down uh filtered that way right and so would like would a rough comparison sort of be built seesaw being sort of equivalent to rangers and jtf sort of being equivalent to delta is is that a is that adequate or is it different than that in a broad brush, I would say that, so I, I haven't served in CSOR, so I'm, I'm not going to really pretend like I know all the depths of what they do. I would say something like a Green Beret is the start point. That's where they try to mirror a lot of, uh, of yeah. what they do. That, that's where I would say for a start point. And then as far as Delta and JTF2, yeah, I would say as a start state. But if you reverse, like look back at um, the national mandate, we work differently. Like uh, JTF2 has a uh, unlike um, like SEAL Team 6 or Delta, they don't work at home in the U.S., right? The FBI handles that kind of stuff. For JTF2 has a national mandate within the country. So that adds in some differences. Um, our cons our, like Who we took over for, the RCMP counterterrorism units, they had a different uh, setup, much more cop structure, you know, think SWAT, uh, the highest end of our SWAT, you know, um, so that changed a little bit of how our unit, but I would say like broad brush, that's where I would start. Um, and then also based on selections from what I do know about, um, like I mentioned, the, the Berets and CSOR selections and then JTF and Delta, um, they are different, but if I was to kind of say, okay, what they're looking for, just off the, my knowledge, um, that's, I would say, yeah, they're kind of picking for those same things. 
Um, but again, their mandate is different than the brace, and JTFs is different than deltas. You know, so they're it's kind of apples and oranges a little bit. Yeah, and Jeff, I, if I could interject and, and tell me if, if I'm off base here in any way, um, just something I observe sometimes with uh, with some of our allied countries is that the, the United States. I mean, we're such a big country, so much more funding for these assets that we have all these like individual units that do one thing that are assigned one responsibility. So, like you mentioned. We have all these helicopters and all these operators um, that we deploy overseas for hostage rescue missions. But we have like a whole duplicate set of that in the FBI with the hostage rescue team. And they have their own helicopters and their own capability. A country, a smaller military, a smaller uh, country like Canada, um, Australia is another example. There are, they don't have the funding. They, they, they don't have all these different units that can cover down on all these different responsibilities. So the, the counterterrorism units end up having that domestic mission as well. Um, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, CSOR, they um, have both like the direct action mission, but they also do what we would call foreign internal defense, the, the special forces mission, training foreign militaries. Um, does that sound adequate? Am I in the ballpark? Yeah, well, it, it, it kind of makes me laugh. Like Seesaw's motto is something like "We will find a way," and it's it's a it's a direct reflection of that's like, okay, now you guys are going to do this, and now you're going to do that, and now you're going to do this, and now you're now you're going to do that, and whoa, whoa, whoa okay, um, because like you said, we don't have uh, so many units to pull from. Um, where they're, you know, you got this internal unit and this external unit and this foreign missions unit. Um, so it does get lumped on in a little bit more. Uh, I think you hit the nose or the nail on the head with that, uh, that rough description of that. I don't know if it's so much a funding issue though, Jack, I think, uh, it's, it's actually a numbers thing. Mm -hmm. Um, like, yes, no one is funded like the U S military, uh, you know, cut and dry. Um, I just, our, our ranks are so small, even I think our entire military, somewhere around 75,000 or something with reservists, you know, like that's, that's, that's pretty small potatoes compared that, to some of what the bases down South hold. That's the size of special operations command in the United States. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. if you guys are sort of acting in the role of the FBI HR2, do you also have like arrest powers or, or do you take law enforcement classes as part of your training? Okay, so I'm gonna just like just put out a disclaimer here. Uh, it's been a while since I chatted about this stuff, and rules can change. So don't take it as gospel. Uh, what happens is peace officer status is given. The RCMP, which is similar to the FBI, do have um, those capabilities. Um, they're just a different level and are actioned for different reasons. Um, it, yeah, it depends on who the person would be, those kinds of things, you know. And then it's one of those things that uh, there's a lot of a lot of dogs on a leash chomping at the bit to, to get in there, right? And then it's like, well, first come, first serve when things happen or uh, no, no, this is our jurisdiction kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, those kinds of things come in. But, yeah, it would be peace officer status. What happens is there's paperwork signed quickly, handed over, and then it's not so much martial law. Uh, kinds of terms that are implemented, but they're, they're, they're special considerations for the unit having to do those kinds of things. Interesting. And, um, and then what I, I would just want to say, Dave, there is other layers that I don't feel totally comfortable going into um, that uh, muddy those waters even a little bit more. Sure. So because of that status, are, is are, do you, does JTF have teams like 
is deployed throughout the country at various times as sort of quick action response teams or because uh, I mean Canada is a is a very large country obviously and <laughs> yeah. now, I don't know where there's where you're stationed in JTF but if something happens on the other coast you're not getting there super quickly yeah so what I would say this is where we're gonna like I'll, I'll say what I can say and not say what I can't say sure. and again it's been a few years so things could have changed um there is like an immediate reaction force um generally um kind of expeditionary for outside the country that are you know there's always someone stood up for that you know a few minutes notice to move kind of deal and then as far as where people are within the country that uh that's kind of close hold info um but you're absolutely right you don't just fly across canada in an hour doesn't matter what kind of plane you're in um so yeah it's a big ground to cover so there are some things in place to take care of that it's very interesting so how long was the selection and what was that like for you being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Uh, well, I would say selection starts uh, kind of in the uh, what's called the BPSO's office, the base psychological screening officer. And they do a real good job of looking at your file, who you were before the military, who you are in the military. And they have really good metrics to be like, yeah, no, you're not, you don't stand a chance. Uh, no, you're not ready. Uh, you know, apply again. So it really starts there. That's uh, the thousands of people are screened out right there. Just um, the way our selection works, we have really good um, ability to take attributes, put them backwards into metrics to be like, no, no, that's not going to work out. There's always, you know, the ones who will slip through, but they'll apply again. So I'd say that's where it starts. And then you move into a week long. Uh, if you pass some standards some physical standards some cognitive standards, that kind of stuff, uh, you'll move into a week long um, selection. And this is where ours differs quite a bit from other um, units around the world because it does have some flavor of that counterterrorism from the policing world and then all the military stuff that's put on top of it and it's super super characteristically driven basically you know that how do your cognitive attributes show up on paper when you're performing there it's called neuro um, neuropsychological testing so you know like a paper personality test uh you know yeah i'm uh, the life of the party all that kind of stuff well you're put through stuff that directly reverse engineers like you can't it's harder to fake right. what it is it's like no he didn't display that he did display that it's much more like that um with the same kind of uh you know screws put to you where the the pass fail rate is somewhere around that 11 percentage depending on uh the, the characters that show up uh, sometimes if you have really powerful leaders like i don't mean officer leaders i mean you know leaders mm -hmm. they can help drive people through a little bit more um but yeah around that 11 percent mark and then you go into roughly it's a year-long course um and once again, you know, selection never ends for Jack. Um, <laughs> the, uh, you're, they're shaving the ice cube there for 11 months. You know, it's, it's, you're not done 
Um, you're not even done after the first, after that year, you know, I, I kept waiting to be done and it wasn't until I retired. And even after that, I, I wasn't sure, <laughs> you know, um, cause that's the nature of the beast, right? You got to show up every day. Uh, so they, they set that tone very early on after that year though, you're, you become a badged operator or assaulter. Yeah. Can you tell us, uh, I, whatever's not classified, but can you tell us a little bit like what that training was made up of? Like the different types of things uh, you trained in? Yeah, well, it's, um, you know, the, the basics. Well, I, I wouldn't call it the basics because they're, they're to the nth degree, but shooting, multiple platforms. Obviously, you got to be able to shoot. CQB. CQB is a huge portion of our, our course. Um, I won't get into, like, the details of how long it is, but but it is, I, I would say we're, we're pretty tuned up in that department. Um, CQB environment, green face stuff, you know, recon, all that kind of, uh, uh, that level of soldiering, you know, uh, hey, ho, halo kind of stuff, um, insert extract, all that kind of jazz, everything to get you ready, um, to get out there and be deployable, um, right off the hop. Of course, though, that doesn't include specialty stuff like breacher, sniper, um, advanced medical courses, there's medical courses and all there. And then, the whole time it's it's about developing the the whole soldier um you know because you don't just put on your camis all the time sometimes you're working in plain clothes and sometimes you're talking to diplomats and you know so uh, you got to be able to cover that whole spectrum yeah so did everybody receive breacher training and everybody receive sniper training and every or do guys eventually branch off in the base in your initial year-long training or is that a specialty gained later and how does that work yeah so what normally happens is you'll get in and uh you'll do some time um hello it is ryan and i was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com i looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing they're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Get your feet. Really. Um, because... I don't know what your experience is, but lots of times you go through training and then you get on your, your feet on the ground and it's like, oh no, we're not doing it like that anymore. You know, that was, that was 1990s style kind of deal. So now you're, you're, you're adapting to that. Um, it takes, it depends because you'll, you could jump on courses right away. There's always training. There's always upgrades, right? There's always like, here, man, this is the coolest new thing, you know, and go learn it and bring it in and adapt it. And then like, you, you, you know, trying to manage 50 specialties. Um, but for us, Breacher is used as a, a, a progression in uh, leadership levels. So uh, everybody gets basic Breacher stuff, you know, running explosives and stuff like that. But your more advanced stuff is, you know, maybe a few years in, you get it and you move up a little bit in responsibility, you know, in your team position. And it's used in that way. And then for us, um, there's a bunch of other stuff, dive or all that kind of jazz, similar construct. And then just with the sniper, it's a completely different thing. We're really, I think, the only unit in the world that completely houses the snipers in a different place um, than within the ranks. Um, it, uh, it has some pros and cons, 
it, it makes for a really, really strong sniper unit because they're, they're, they're in there sniping all the time and not having to worry so much about uh, what the other squadrons and stuff are doing. And uh, I, I, actually, I'm not going to even throw a con on it because I don't think there is one. I think if you're going to do that kind of stuff, if you're going to have people specialize, because we all know that a human being can only be stretched so thin and then things are going to not even by um, on purpose or by will, it's just going to fall off. You know, we only have so much neuronal pathways to work with. Um, so it does have that uh, strength. And then, you know, everything else that goes with that, all the plain clothes stuff and um, all the other programs that uh, I would love to get into because I think they're super interesting, but I, I just can't. Sure. Sure. We didn't really cover it, but when you were con on the conventional side and the airborne side, did you do any uh, combat deployments during that time? Uh, yeah, in uh, Afghanistan. Uh, I had a nine-month deployment in, uh, in uh, oh, geez, man. <laughs> That's crazy in the Panjway. Uh, right uh, in Zangabad, the spiritual birthplace of the Taliban. Um, it, it, was, it was amazing and uh, it was everything I could have hoped being a soldier would be. I remember many times just being like, oh, man, yeah, this is it. I, I, I'm a soldier, <laughs> you know? Everything about this is, is you know, multi-day gunfights and artillery covering my our asses getting out of something and jets bombing stuff. And it, it was amazing. And also, um, we never had to feel guilty about anything. The locals... Um, I don't want to say we're open arms because, you know, the Afghans can be a tough bunch, um, but they, they were appreciative. So we didn't have that pressure of feeling like, oh, damn, here we got our, our, our government's mandate we got to do from above. And then the people here don't even want us, you know, so we, we got to it was uh, it, it made for good soldiering. You know, you, you could feel ethically, morally like, yeah, OK, we're doing the right thing. We're here. We're making a difference. They, they, they want us here. Um, so that, that made for amazing, um, amazing tour. It was, uh, it was the deadliest tour that Canadians had. And it was surprising because, um, it was a winter tour and normally in the winter things would quiet down. But by this point it was kind of like they were getting savvy and they were adapting like yeah. they did and do. And, uh, yeah, so it, there was that kind of on the other side and, you know how it is it's all relative right our, our platoon had all its tasks to do and we got to kick a lot of ass um straight up and we didn't have to take any serious serious casualties so you know you go home from that uh, pretty head high yeah that's a win for sure yeah sure. yeah so you finished training mm -hmm. and and what was it like when you first got to your team, your, uh, your squadron? I'm not sure how, how you guys break it down. Well, we kind of have a little bit of the old uh, SAS, uh, you know, uh, debt squadron stuff. But we're, because we work, well, you know, closer with our southern ally, we've started moving towards like team and stuff like that. And really what it is, is it's like hair on fire, adapt, adapt, adapt. Um, because you're going to be pulled in 50 different directions. You're going to be moved around. Not like this is your new team, this is your new team, but it's like, okay, onesies and twosies, you're going to do this, you're going to do this. Um, and that's just your life. It was, uh, it was a faster pace than I could ever have imagined. <laughs> um, and, and they certainly, they, they squeeze it out of you. Uh, and I don't mean that like cynically, it's just they get their money's worth. Um, and it's amazing how much people can do and adapt to but yeah it, it's basically hit the ground running um 
and uh, go, 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 adapt, learn, develop, deploy, <laughs> rinse, repeat. Yeah. But it, 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 was, it was amazing. It was really great. Super cool. And I, I mean, so was it everything you were hoping for when the time from when you first enlisted and you like had it from the beginning, like, yeah, I want to be a JTF2 guy. Now you're there, you're living the dream. So not every moment of the military is <laughs> fucking glory, right? <laughs> you know? I think with the suck, though, comes... The, the strength to do better on the other end. I think it has a purpose. So mm -hmm. obviously there is some of that. Uh, I, I'll, I'll go back to that thing, Jack, about saying that I've never, I never had to do anything or be in a position where um, I had to be, I had to have regrets. And, and I think that's a big one. And I'm not saying a lot of soldiers come out with regret or are put in positions of regret, but I always thought like, fuck, if I had to do something I didn't really want to do, what would I do? You know? And I, that, so that was a big win for me. And I would have to say yes, almost 100%. When I look back now with my <laughs> rose-colored lenses as a dirty civvy, uh, yeah, it, it was definitely worth it. it uh, uh, but I'm happy to be where I am now. Everything I look back with is, is fondness. It got me to where I am, uh, but also like time for a little bit of me time and my life and yeah, moving on to new things. Uh, how long did you spend there with JTF? Uh, well, it was about a uh, better part of a decade. Um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, then I had to make my move out again, some family stuff, uh, up, you know, probably a little bit of, I didn't really feel it at the time, but yeah, I would, family stuff really kind of dictated. Okay. Um, you're going to have to start moving out. And then Jack already heard the story. Uh, I met my wife. And that completely changed everything. The minute I met her, she was like, no, I'm not doing the military thing. Her her dad was a Vietnam vet, and uh, her grandfather was one of the original, before they were called SEALs, I can't remember, like, the, UDTs. I don't remember what the acronym oh, is, the but UDTs, he was on the original, yeah. what was that, Jack? UDTs? Yeah, so, yeah, the underwater demolition guys. Uh, I dug up a picture for her dad, actually. Uh, it was declassified, but not made public, of him and his, like, combat gitch and knife on the side awesome. uh, all black and white with the, uh, the original dudes in the pacific it was, it was pretty cool um anyway so she was she was not having any of that um so that that uh, and i was definitely not going to lose her so sure. you know that those those couple things just were like all right here's my release papers uh Alejandro asks uh with a unit designation being jtf2 was there ever a jtf1 and is it true that shooters and Canadian software issued hockey sticks as secondary weapons? <laughs> uh, so JTF2 is like uh, when the government puts together their cunning plans to try to like hide units and stuff like that. Because everything's a joint task force, really, right? Um, you put together anyone and it becomes a joint task force. So no, there wasn't really like a... Joint Task Force 1 before Joint Task Force 2, as in two units that existed. There was, you know, a Joint Task Force and a Joint Task Force Delta and a, an Alpha and a, you know, whatever they wanted to name it. Um, just as you know, that's what they call certain things. So that was the idea of that name um, to keep it uh, hidden a little bit more. And uh, the hockey sticks, no, no, we don't get issued hockey sticks. You got to buy them. <laughs> you have to buy them. <laughs> do, you, do, uh, do the guys cut them down to make them easier to carry through doorways? 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't want to be caught when you're going through the doorway. Right. So that must have been, for being such a small unit, having domestic responsibilities in addition to Afghanistan and maybe Iraq, I'm not sure, but your schedule it seems as though awful, you would do a deployment awful. that you would never have any downtime. Plus, all your training requirements to stay current. What what was that like for you and for for your teammates? Yeah, well, if I could add in there too, uh, we were also in charge of marine counterterrorism as well. You know, so uh, that the plate should get full. Uh, th- that's all there is to it. Um, so you're just busy all the time. Uh, you better love her and make her your mistress, you know, and that's the way it goes. But that that's also goes into the, the characters that they choose. So um, some things you'll be trained up to a certain point and they expect you to work a little bit lower. That's that's where they want your performance, right? You train up and then you work in a performance zone. But then also you can shelf it and then quickly grab it off the shelf and be like, okay, yeah, I can do that again, you know, because you have adaptive characters who can learn super quick. So yeah, it, it, it yeah, it gets busy. There, there's, you, you, you know, that, that's kind of the life that you sign up for though. As you climb the, that echelon, um, you're looking for more, you're looking for more. Right. Uh, so the guys that get there, they, they probably don't know exactly how much more, you know, how much more can you get out of someone? Um, but the, it, it can get busy downtime. Um, I would say that they actually do a pretty good job of this. Really? It, it, yeah, it's a human body can only be pushed so long before you start getting PTSD symptoms, before you get burnout, before you, you know what I mean? You get cognitive dissonances, whatever it is. Uh, the human body, even the best of the best, need uh, to put their feet up and have a beer once in a while. And uh, if you have families, you got to nurture that. It, it, it's a tough gig for families. No one's going to lie about that. Um, you know, if you have a wife and kids, it makes it hard, but they do try to do their best. So it's, it, there's, you know, full throttle, throttle off, full throttle, throttle off as much as possibly can be done. And then, uh, you know, stuff as much as you can into a day. And as far as like sacred cows, we were all, that's always a discussion. Like, what do you keep? What don't you keep? What can be put in a binder and put on that shelf? What, what do you do especially well we know this um the enemy changes and one day this is the tools you need and so you've got to be going right you got to be adapting you got to be figuring out what's new how do you stay ahead uh, so that adds in a whole different uh, paradigm as well now i know uh, jtf was going to afghanistan were they also going to iraq well according to the newspapers dave jtf2 was in iraq um okay. fair enough uh, and what was what was your first tour with JTF? Your first combat tour, I'll say, with JTF, like compared to what it was when you were mm-hmm. uh, in the Airborne Infantry. <clears throat> I would say uh, things feel safer because now you're. You know, it's not any mouth breather to the left and right of you. Um, you have guys that in, in most ways are probably better than you. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're, uh, it's, your, your training is completely different. Your assets are completely different. Plans are actually, you know, you're able to execute plans right. where it's not the old, like, you know, it doesn't survive after the first boom. Well, the idea is that 
you have a team that can execute a plan. And then you have the ability, the attributes, the attachments, the, the tech, whatever it is, um, to do that. So in that way, um, yeah, it felt, I would use the word safer. And then, then it, then it, it, uh, it's, all, it's just different, uh, different, different character, different roles. Um, I, that's why I, I use the word very specifically though, when I talked about Afghanistan and being airborne and stuff, um, it felt more soldiery mm-hmm. uh, than uh, as you move up. As you move up, you start to work with different agencies and your roles change and um, fights aren't fought with guns. Uh, they're fought with, uh, you know, manipulation words, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And what you can build to develop the strategic picture as opposed to uh, just a tactical picture. So I, I would say those are some of the key things um, that I would say, yeah. Yeah. And we're, uh, I, I, I know you say it felt safer, but the airborne of yourself felt more reward or not more rewarding, more soldierly. Did anyone feel more rewarding to you in their execution? <sighs> no, I, I wouldn't be able to like litmus one and say it more so than the other. Uh, overall, like my life as a soldier, and I'm just using that word as like, you know, GI kind of soldier and my life as an SF operator, I would say SF was more rewarding as a whole, uh, just because it's a completely different arena, a completely different world. The, the, the mentality is so different. Everything is just so different that you, I, I don't think you can help, but feel more rewarded. Right. Whereas, um, the infantry, like we kind of joked, you know, you're, you're sitting on the stairs, sweeping the lines and, uh, amazing in so many other ways, but, uh, it's, yeah, it's just not as awesome. <laughs> yeah. Where, where the regular soldier, uh, is sort of move out and draw fire, you know, go, go see if there are bad guys over that hill. Uh, whereas in, as you move up the tiers, it's more like, we know that these bad guys are here. We know they sleep at this time. We're going to go at this time. And, make the decision point when, you know, when they wake up with our guns in their face or whatever. Yeah. And and then also yes to that, but also, you know, by the time I got into the tier one realm, like, man, the technology, the, the, everything that the early 2000s, you know, 2006, 2007, everything that got developed so quickly, the tools that we started were able to use were just unbelievable. You know, like to, to, to turn the tides. I, I, I gotta say, like, uh, like I was always amazed. Like, I was like, why the, how are you, why are you fighting us? What do you think you're gonna do? You know what I mean? You think you're gonna grind us out here? Like, um, it, you may think you're gonna economically collapse or you're gonna lose the will of the people back home, but, uh, the governments have decided that we're here and we outweigh you. You know, we, we like not saying they didn't do some damage, you know, like obviously there's people lost, but uh, what are you thinking there? Especially like by the time ISIS came around, I, I was, I was blown away by them. Uh, like almost like trench warfare style fighting against yeah. the, the West. Like, what are you thinking? You know, yeah. there, there's a few thousand of you. This is, this is inevitable. There's more, Pashmurga, they're going to run over you. You know, I, I was blown away by that kind of stuff. Uh, 
Krishna asks, are there any Sikhs or South Asians in the JTF? Uh, I would assume they would be able to play a useful role if they're able to pass selection. Uh, well, I guess the short answer is yes. Um, again, there's an operator, and then there's all the branches, all the things you can do, all the assets, all the different tools that are there, the entire, like, below like everything we talk about is obviously the tip of the iceberg and then everything that we don't get to talk about so there's a lot more there room for uh you know obviously i'm a white dude i'm not going to blend in everywhere even with the best makeup um so yes of course uh there's it's a 100 percent um whatever equal opportunity place if you you know if that's kind of what he's asking i think no i think so uh, and Alex asks, uh, if the events of Wednesday had happened in Canada rather than wa in Washington, how would the JTF2 and RCMPCT units be used? Well, uh, I'm going to, just to stay a little on the lively side, when our parliament was last attacked, there was a sergeant at arms with a pistol who <laughs> got in there and tried. So I don't know that, you know, if any of that would have happened. Uh, one, you know, condolences uh, for real. Um, I, uh, I learned about that later in the day. Man, oh man, you know, not a fun thing for the country to have to deal with. Um, would it, those things happen so fast, right? So. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. They happen fast. Real-time data is very different. It's, it's hard to play this like a chessboard, right? Um, what could have happened? What would have happened? Would, would people have been put down more? I can't say. I, I just can't say um, if it would have been handled any differently. I, um, I, I do got to say, I hate when things like that happen, you know, and then securities are tightened and people go on edge, especially right now in a very polarized time. Um, it, it's such a shame. Um, but I, I won't get in there. I'm not like wagging my finger or anything like that. I guess the, 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 the short answer is it, it's, it's truly impossible to tell because um, those decisions are made in real time and decisions made in real time um, don't always go, or not always, they're not predictable the same way. You know, like we did talk about a well-executed plan as they're motoring up there and uh, jumping into action, they would have their plan, they would do what they're doing. Uh, but those were those are civilians you know those are american civilians um you don't like, can't say it, it, it'd be tough right. and, and, I, and i don't know enough about the event uh who was involved and outcomes to really speak to it properly yeah no th thankfully it, it wasn't necessary i mean i, I was just on a personal level i was frightened that it would turn into some sort of hostage situation and th <sighs> thank thank god that didn't happen it would have been really bad it, it's I, I, you know, I, I think I have a soldier's heart, Jack. Um, but when it comes to these kinds of things within your own country, and the the more I think about, it, the more I contemplate on things about violence in particular and the use of violence, um, it has its place. 
and it's not removed. And uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to dismiss that, but man, oh man, having to use it in this kind of context, right. whether you're them or the guys having to show up, it, it just, um, you know, 2020 was interesting and tough in its own way. And to start off 2021 like that would have been just not great. Right. Um, so on your own, you know, later on in your career and your own deployments uh, to, in air quotes, places, um, are there any particular operations that stand out that maybe you can talk about even without maybe naming specifics of where you were or what, what the date was? Um, those type, types of operations that you conducted, um, any you know, particularly hairy experiences that stand out for you? No, I, I, I couldn't. And also, I, I didn't feel that um, my, you know, baptismal by fire was very out of control. Mm -hmm. And it never felt to that same point again. Mm -hmm. um, it always felt much more controlled, much more surgical, you know, if, if I may use that word. So no, not not particularly, not uh, um, not really. No. Well, that's good to hear. Actually, I mean, that means you guys were all doing your jobs, right? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, kudos to JTF two. Um, they have a presidential citation from Bush. They were there from the very get go in the early two thousands. And knock on wood, we haven't lost uh, um, a unit member uh, anywhere um, in any operation. That's amazing. That yeah. is amazing. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't know what you can say. Jeff, but I'm guessing that your former unit was deployed almost continuously throughout the war. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, yeah. And like I said, you know, I don't know what's really going on out there, but it, it was many, many, many years. And if it's even over, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. Now, what was the bureaucracy on po political situation? for you guys like uh while you were there because i know that certain u.s forces had challenges at various points in time of being pulled back because maybe karzai or the you know because p politics would dictate that hey we need to we need to slow down a little bit um some countries too have their they're part of our task force but they have their own parliaments back home right you know and i've heard these stories about the norwegians and the sweet or yeah the norwegians or the uh, danish or whoever and they're planning this big operation, and then a member of parliament gets wind, and they're like grabbing your hoodie back here, like this, like whoa, 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 hold on a second, you're not going there. Uh, well, um, I would say mandate-wise, like not mandate-wise, but uh, as far as that governor goes, you know, the, the government governor, I guess we call it. <laughs> um, I, I never really felt it that much. I. If I look at it comparatively, um, we're not the most aggressive country in the world. Definitely, you know, from the outside, but militarily, um, we're definitely up there. Yeah, uh, hanging out. We're not, you know, the, I'm not going to even pretend like we're we, we have the most foreign policy being projected outwards. We definitely don't. But I didn't really feel that in comparison. I would say, as a you know, an operator on the ground that's what you want in your operator you want to hold them by the hoodie you know and, and yeah. they, they, that's really what they're looking for is that that guy that group that team that that uh that task force whatever it is to be doing that right it, it's a lot 
Um, it, I think it leads to safer results to have to dethrottle than to miss something, right? So you want them doing that all the time. I think that's just a natural, uh, as far as like on the ground feeling, uh, every moment, I think as an operator, you're like, let's, let's do this. Let's do this. I'm ready, man. You know, like you're, you're, it's a, you're always locked and loaded, kind of ready to go. Um, so there is a little bit of that, but I would say like, if you step back and kind of zoom out on it and uh, get some perspective, no, I, I would say it was pretty good. Um, and there's a few things I'd love to be able to touch on to even um, kind of put our country into a position where a lot of people don't know and I, I can't and I'm not doing that to be a jerk. It's just um, where that's where I start getting like, okay, comparatively, we don't have the uh, most aggressive foreign policy projection, but uh, we're definitely, um, we're, we're, we're part of the Five Eyes. We're part of you know, North America. And I would say that the, the big difference is how much uh, the, the type of exposure you know, um, that is put out where it's kind of, I think they underdo it north of the border. Um, for sure. I, I think they could do a little bit better of it. Uh, we have a, we have a proud military history. You know, we, we were there in world war one. We were there, you know, world war two from the get go, uh, you know, the Korean war and the Vietnam war. So many Canadians moved down to the States and joined up in the Vietnam war. There was money sent, you know, every single time, uh, you know, uh, the Gulf War One, Gulf War Two. There's always some form there. Mm -hmm. Some whether it was through money, through ships, or something. Um, and then uh, Afghanistan, uh, right from the get go. And then you know, like I said, the newspaper in Iraq later on. Um, and and people, it's it's okay to to, to be proud of that, you know. As a, yeah. um, but they don't really do that. But there, there's a little bit of press. I think there's even like a documentary a few years ago about Seesaw, if I remember correctly. But the JTF guys, they keep you way under uh, under the radar. Yeah. So I, I would. Um, there is, and it did get better, Jack, as time went on, because um, I, I I don't want to pull the old. I don't even know if it's an adage yet, but uh, you know, you might not support the war, but support the soldier kind of thing. Well, you know, you're elected, not your as in you guys, but the, the soldiers that are deployed. Your elected government, who you know is. Um, doing this for your ideals, you know, you may not fully agree with it, you know, because you, you may not know enough or whatever, but they're there for you in a way, you know, and, and to have that kind of backlash. As far as that uh, that exposure, that it, it's more because of that national mandate, knowing, you know, if there's an operator kicking about somewhere, um, doing something potentially with one of the other agencies, you know, that face that, oh, I recognize him. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of that uh, to keep that under wraps. Can, uh, can I ask, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit, something you'd mentioned earlier that you have a traumatic brain injury. If you could talk to us a little bit about that, because uh, it's an issue I, I've written about. Um, we've interviewed other people who have it. Um, Justin Lassick, by the way, who we had on a few episodes ago, lost his legs, and he's been dealing with a lot of stuff. And he was on the show also talking about his um, his unit wasn't promoting him. Uh, I had an email with him uh, like two days ago. I got a text message from him. He is being promoted now. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I only had to send a bunch of emails to the Secretary of the Army asking about it. <laughs> they finally did it. 
oh no, we better clean this up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When I, uh, I'm a journalist with such and such. I, I got a few <laughs> questions for you, and um, but no, good, Justin deserves it at a very minimum, you know. And uh, so I just wanted to update people on on his situation. Um, and so Jeff, I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about your experience, you know, how you got um, injured and how you have grappled with this and, and the difficulties um, going forward. So it's in the very early stages of diagnosis. Just want to say that because uh, when it comes to brain stuff, um, they're learning just more and more how complicated it is mm-hmm. and how uh, things like PTSD was a blanket term. And now they're seeing that, oh, okay, well, maybe it's just, you know, training scars where we've upregulated this soldier, you know, the, the, the way we've molded him mm-hmm. makes him come out into the civilian world and look like it's PTSD mm-hmm. and it's not, you know, cause it was a blanket statement, right? Mm-hmm. For anyone with anything going on mentally, it was like, Oh, PTSD, PTSD. Right. And, um, obviously very real affliction. Um, but it's time to spread how to treat it a little bit. Um, and then yeah, TBI, TBI traumatic blast injury or brain injury. In this case, it's blast, uh, recurring blast, blast in combat, blast in training, um, you know, as a breacher, uh, I soaked up a lot of explosives mm-hmm. and it's, it takes a little bit of time to come, uh, to, to the surface, you know, cause you're, you get now, you kind of get in your legs, you're figuring things out. And then, you know, takes, take some time for these things to settle in. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's a little bit of those training scars, a little bit of that TBI. So the thing with the brain injury is, uh, the way your cognitive, your neuronal network works in your head if you're injured in a certain area, it'll come out in your, you know, your psychology in that same way. And then it's like, oh, PTSD. Well, to treat it though, I have a brain injury. I don't have a personality disorder. It's showing up as a personality okay. disorder, but it's different, you know. Uh, for the the guy you're talking about, um, that's going to show up completely differently because now he's, you know, lost his legs, and you know, his life is completely different. So to, um, to, to undo those things like especially if you had a bit of brain injury already you know so now he's dealing with uh that's that by any definition that's trauma you know what i mean uh i always was okay with the concept of losing my life in battle but having to lose a limb right. was always the toughest thing for me to deal with um and it's not a vanity thing it's just like that was that was hard for me to conceptualize so that 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 that's got uh definite uh, markers for PTSD potential. Then you literally have blast injuries. Um, uh, I'm not exactly sure how it happened to him, um, but some kind of injury, I assume. Justin, yeah, he stepped on an IED. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you know, you don't get any closer to an explosive than that. Mm-hmm. So then you actually have the damage side of it. And now, is he out of the military? Uh, he's almost. He's on terminal leave, so he's just about out. Yeah. You know, now he's transitioning. He's he's got to rebuild a completely new identity based on already having those things that were imposed on him. And now he's moving into a completely different world. Like um, we kind of talk about in the military, there's actually a lot of consistency and safety in the military. You know, you know, you're going to get your paycheck. You know, you got your buddy's got your back. You know, all those uh, psychological needs and physiological needs are met pretty much. Uh, and when you move out now, you're like, Oh man, I got to do this on my own and blah, 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 blah. Um, so for me, it, it, it's showing up, um, you know, sleep loss and then sleep loss perpetuates that situation. Uh, memory loss. That, that's the big one. Uh, for me, names to faces shows up 
uh, it's, it's tricky for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there's been a few people I've met like three times, literally. And even on the third time, it's like, yeah. I've never met you before, you know? Um, so there's a little bit of it showing up like that. Most of it's good to go. And most of our programming that we do at the special forces experience, um, is all around personality adjustment, cognitive trait adjustment, um, you know, growth minded, expanding your consciousness, basically polishing your steel or, you know, sharpening your mind, that kind of stuff. So it keeps me in a place where all the things I need to do, regulate my impulses, my emotions, and my thoughts, express those things, my impulses, emotions, and thoughts. It's all done in a really healthy way. So it really keeps it at bay. Um, and then there's been a few other things uh, like on our team, we have some doctors and things like that. So there's like high dose multivitamin treatments and tracking treatments through biometrics and things like that, that we use that I, I get to use myself, um, to help keep it really under control as I rebuild those brain networks. It's fascinating stuff. So you mentioned the special forces experience. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, so it, it's it's evolved over time uh, it started off with a program called the process which is um it's for some civilian men uh, it simulates a lot of uh, military style training but it's all it's a big old personality assessment and it's also designed for them to go through what we call post-traumatic growth the opposite side of ptsd mm-hmm. so as your brain literally think about like a snow globe and you shake up your brain, you know, PTSD kind of does that. It can do it really quickly or it can do it over a long period of time. You know, it build, you build up anxiety and stress and your brain really reprograms over years. So it can happen quickly or over a short period of time. But on the other side, if you adapt that into your being in a proper way, uh, we call it post-traumatic growth. And uh, what we do at the process is we facilitate intentional post-traumatic growth. From there, we developed a program called the trials, which is part of the process now. So you go through, you know, your months of assessments and tasks that you have to do before to build up yourself and for us to gather data. Then you go through the eight day experience and we're just constantly observing you, testing you, excuse me. Then you leave. Now we got to make sure you're on a program that'll physiologically and psychologically build you up properly. Um, and, And when I say build up, I don't mean people come broken. The idea is, you know, any one degree of change in your life at any time can be huge, especially for high achieving men. Um, so a little bump um, does that. But with the trials, we it's for the process as that follow on in phase four. But we started using it for other individuals. So it's worked really good for people with PTSD. Um, uh, any kind of anxiety disorder, really, it can help tune that up hugely. Um, or just people who are looking to expand their horizons, uh, be a little bit better. From there, we developed uh, a program called OPX, Operation X. And this is for businesses. This is, once again, four phases. And the idea is we go in and we assess uh, your employees. We build up the data, the cognitive traits, the personality traits, all that. And Based on that, as we're going, we're bumping it towards where you want. Think of a sales team. You want to optimize your sales team. Instead of just like throwing on sales training or something like that, what we do is we have encoders and decoders and we decode parts of your perception and personality that aren't serving you, aren't serving the company potentially uh, without, you know, getting into those brainwashing and (laughs) compliance kinds of things. It's like, it's agreed upon employee wants to be better. Company wants better employees. uh, And we do that. And then what we do is through the months of assessment and testing and development, 
we're undoing and we're redoing what they deem necessary, but we gather all that data and then we throw it into a one week intensive that they go through. So if it's a sales team, it's, it's a, honestly, it would be the hardest sales intensive that they could ever go through. But on the other end, they can handle stress better. They can speak better. All those kinds of things that you'd want from your sales team. They're able to manage burnout better. Uh, that's a huge killer in the corporate world. Uh, people burn out so quickly, you know, and then disabilities get paid. And so it's all about that. But then what we do is the last part is we re-inject everything we've observed through those three phases into their HR so that they can hire the right people uh, with a properly developed hiring process that looks a little bit um, you know, it's way more robust than filling out some paperwork in the job interview. Right. And, um, so there's that. And then the last thing that we just, uh, we're about to launch in March is, uh, ultra long range shooting. So we kind of dialed it back from all that stuff. Yeah. And, uh, so I'm a sniper. That's what I left the military as I absolutely love shooting. And so we put together this awesome, it's an e-course delivered through videos and it's got resources and homework and that kind of jazz. But the idea is to take any basically rifle, um, if you're into pistols, shotguns, that kind of stuff, carbine shooting, it has a place, but it's the idea is a more long range program, whatever long range is, right? If you're shooting a 22 with a short barrel, long range is different than shooting a 50 cal with a nice big old long barrel on it. But pushing that weapon from kind of at zero beyond its capability, just beyond, you know, however, um, whatever weapon, whatever bullet, whatever, because there's so many configurations in the world of shooting, uh, you have the abilities to assess the terminal ballistics, the external ballistics, transitional ballistics, internal ballistics of the gun, and then something we're coining as the cognitive ballistics, the shooter. How do I make myself a better shooter? How do I train my body and my mind to be a better shooter? Because it's one thing to have the best equipment in the world, but if you're, you know, breathing heavy, you're stressed, you're on the run, you know, you got to do a kind of off angle shot and you got all the things working against you. Now I got to think about all the formulas and math and everything I got to do that totally changes the game. Right. And we're aiming it at people, um, who are, they have a gun in the closet. They want to learn how to shoot it better. Um, but they don't have time to pay a thousand bucks, go to a weekend course. Um, you know, it makes it much, much more accessible. It's out of curiosity cool yeah it sounds amazing because when when we first talked jeff uh all these ideas were like very embryonic um what well, probably like two years ago when we first talked and now you have it built out into this whole thing i mean it's, it's awesome I'm, I'm uh really happy for you man yeah i, I appreciate that jack because it's um in the world i like to think that every time you bump into someone you learn a little something and i remember some things from that specific conversation and i, and I can give jack a good shout out here so we've dubbed the company the SFE, and that was Jack who broke broke it down to that acronym. We were we were calling it the Special Forces Experience when the first time I met you, Boy, and uh, you were like, "Oh yeah, the SFE," and I was like, uh, "Yeah, no, that, that's patented. Don't even come after that, Jack." Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and, yeah. Things did unfold quickly. You're right. You heard it here first. If you want an expert genius branding expert, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I don't even, I, I had no idea. That's really funny to hear, though. Um, it, hey, and for our, our listeners out there, if you guys got any questions, uh, shoot for Jeff. Please shoot them out uh, real quick here. Uh, Alejandro says, did you have the opportunity to cross-train or do exercises with other nations, counterterrorism elements, or any partnered operations overseas? 
Uh, in a nutshell, uh, Alejandro, yes. Uh, that's one of those things that we don't uh, really talk about. Um, I will say this, though, especially in the Five Eyes, and, and it goes well beyond the Five Eyes. Uh, the, the one thing about the War on Terror, it led into a big coalition of people working together, mm-hmm. which was massive. I think it benefited everybody because now the exchange of ideas happens so quickly, you know, um, that, that you level, you're able to level up so much faster working with other elite units. Uh, Ian says, if you're in a long range in Canada, do you know Rob F, Barney G or Keith C? I, I don't know who those folks are. Well, yeah, Rob F uh, 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 rings a bell. Um, right now, I'm, I'm down in the U.S. with my wife. Um, we have her guns down here, and so we're shooting on BLM and Stateland a lot. And uh, yeah, I, I'm I don't know them, those guys, but the names ring a bell. Uh, this is kind of my first endeavor into doing something a little bit uh, more. I guess I don't want to use the word technical because it's not really geared to be a you know a sniper course or something it's, it's geared to get the, the best tune out of your pipe but right. um it, it's the first time we're moving into this and it's delivered differently those guys they deliver it in, in a way that um i'm not delivering it this is meant to make it much more accessible like i don't know how many people have guns how many like right now trying to buy a gun or even ammo right now is it, it, pretty crazy at least <laughs> down here in arizona like so all these people now out of fear of bought guns and really the truth is now you're just more dangerous you know i'm of the mindset if you know how to use it properly you're less dangerous because you're probably not going to have to use it and you're way less likely to injure someone else and then also moving into competition and sport and you know it's just a good way to get out with the family and stuff like that that's cool out of curiosity is one of the reasons why you picked long guns as sort of a, an extension to your program is because there's such a biometric element to it. And, you know, when you're talking about relaxation, when you're talking about, you know, even entering a meditative state, there, you know, that that's much more the long gun shooter than it is like a carving shooter or a pistol shooter. Well, I, I guess yes, you know, in a nutshell. Um, but I, I love shooting pistol. I love I love shooting anything, really. To be honest, I, I like guns. But you're absolutely right. Once you move into this realm, there's a whole different type of uh, like a Zen approach, a calming uh, approach that comes with it. And it just it, it to me, it's much more technical than the rest. And and I I, I kind of hesitate to say that because almost every gun is very similar. A pistol has all the same forces that a rifle. You know, just different mixtures um so probably yeah (laughs) yeah uh especially like now that i think about it you know you go out you're kind of for me it's very it's a very relaxing thing i i I just don't think i i I consciously linked those things and say hey you know what because of this i'm going to do this i would say that because of those attributes it was a natural segue into doing it yeah yeah i I think it's it's great because one of the things about long-range shooting is, and you know this even better than I do, Jeff, I mean, I think it puts you into, like, a meditative state because you're, like, so focused on this one thing. Well, it, and it... To go into a meditative state, most people try to clear everything, right? And to have to deal with so much between your target, you know, say an elk at 800 meters or something, 800 yards, um, 
you know, you're out in the cold, you're on a high angle, you're potentially freezing, you know, all those things. And then to have to get into that state, because if you don't, you're going to be chattery behind the gun um, and you're not going to get your shot, you know? Um, So it it definitely brings in there. And that's why I was saying about the cognitive ballistics, you know, that's why we have a training program that goes with it. That's why we have, you know, breathing stuff. That's why we bring in all these other different elements to, to help calm people down to make that shot you know think of a competition like a precision long-range shooting competition uh even if you have all the skills in the world but you you know you're you're choking on your own air to get there (laughs) you know it it doesn't matter how great the shot is you got to get there and then once you're there you got to be able to slow down because you're not going to be in a bench and no matter how good you build up your shooting position there's going to be some influence on your body and you're not going to hold that position right heartbeat breathing all that yeah yeah. If you don't mind, can we roll it back a little bit about when you entered the snipers? How long were you on the line? Uh, and then and then when did you decide and why did you decide to go to the snipers? Um, well, that was, you know, nothing's ever cut and dry. I don't know how it is in the U.S. military, but because like, I'd done my sniper course, but it was years before I went to the sniper troop. So, you know, I I was, it was showing up in different ways, you know, marksman long range in that way, injecting those tools and traits. Um, So it it was years I was sniper qualified, but it was only like a year and a half, I think, or not even that I spent in the snipers um, before I left um, in the unit. And was there, were you always like on the wait list for that? Or was there a certain point in time when you made the decision that that's where you wanted to go? Hmm. I think it's a little of A and a little bit of B, if I if I remember correctly. Um, and then things get in the way, you know. Um, things change, teams change, needs of the unit change. Um, but there's definitely like a you don't just walk in there day one. You know, there's there's some time got to be put in uh, because the demands get upped again once you move into that realm. Um, yeah. So yeah, I would say a little bit of A and a little bit of B, Dave. And was there a another selection process for that? Was there another training process for that? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have, and you know, whatever, guys. I'm going to say it. I think we have the best sniper school in the world, cut and dry. Um, I do believe that, uh, and I'm not going to say the proofs in the pudding, but the proofs in the pudding. No, it, it, it's because we have such great allies. You know that that's the truth. Um, but we also have that individual unit and it did feel like there was a lot of selection to get there again. that was like one of those times where you're like, Holy moly, when does this stop? Where's the, uh, you know, the gravy train. Um, so yes, in a way that, well, no, there, there definitely is not in a way there definitely is because the demand, um, the way our unit is set up, the demand gets up a little bit. So, um, yeah, in a way there is, yeah. I, I don't know if it, there's actually an official one, um, but yeah, there is. I just need to t- check chat real quick and see yeah, if any I've Marines been, chimed I've been, in. I've been reading through. No, I, I when the, the best snipers in the world. I just want to oh, see if any geez. Marines like uh, popped in, but not yet. The, the Canadians <laughs> do have and have always had uh, very well regarded snipers. Um, yeah. So I'm I mean, surprised. don't. Uh, I want to say, I mean, don't you guys win quite a few of the the tactical sniping competitions? You know, I, I couldn't speak to that. Uh, I don't think our unit really enters too okay. many of those. I, I, I could be mistaken. Uh, again, I, I say that kind of jokingly because there's probably 
you know, better sniper somewhere else, potentially. I, I but I, I would also like, okay, if we're going to compare, um, if you actually wanted to get comparative about that statement of best, uh, it would be a hard argument not to, <laughs> not to win that one. Uh, yeah. And you guys can go do a little bit of Wikipedia research and see who has the world record sniper shot. And yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you said that you went to the sniper school years ago. Was there additional sniper training then, like a longer course once you got into the section? Uh, yeah, like all things, uh, we'll just call it on-the-job training. Okay. You know, all the new things you got to do, all the extra surveillance tools, all the... Uh, I, I won't get into the specifics of what's there. Yeah. Um, you know, think tip of the iceberg, sniper, guy in a ghillie suit. Um, and then below that, all the extra stuff that you do got to hoist a board um, to work in there. I, I don't... I wouldn't really be able... It, it, something's, you know... I, I think the U.S. has one like a really good uh, school for everything, and then like a really great structure uh, to move through that. And I, not so as you move up that like into the upper echelons, that kind of fades away because the demands are so fluid and almost chaotic mm -hmm. uh, that you can't quite work that same way. So you'll get some stuff piecemeal. Right. You know, um, we, we try to put it together as much as possible. Uh, but because those numbers are low, force generation sometimes takes a kick, right? If you only have X amount of guys and they're all deployed, I mean, they're, you know, you can't deliver the training kind of thing. Uh, Alex is asking Civ uh, Group grad versus the SF Experience grad who wins. And he's talking about a company that I've been creating, but it's, we're, we're doing something a little bit different. It's more like escape the room. Uh, sort of fictionalized scenarios that we put people through. Yeah, I, I, I have to say, Jack, I did read through your stuff, um, and and I agree with. I think they're not completely different, but they are very different. Um, yeah, yeah. You, 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 I, I, maybe yeah. maybe we can work together sometime in the future if we ever want to run anything in Canada, or you know, vice versa. Um, might be some opportunities to. Help each other. Out. I, I I would definitely do that, Jack. I would definitely do that. Um, cool, man. So, I, I don't, what do you got? There? Well, I was gonna say, Jeff. I, Jack already put this in the chat, but for the people who are watching or, or listening, uh, like on a podcast on the podcast without the benefit of the chat, can you tell us where to find your website and, and if, where people can like if they're interested in the SFE and they want to sign up and take one of these classes you talk about? What, what's the next step? Yeah, so head to the website, thespecialforcesexperience.com, and then right there on our page, we have the process, the trials, OPX, and ultra-long-range shooting. For uh, anyone who's interested in the ultra-long-range shooting, just head down there, type in Team House, and uh, once this thing's in the breach, March 1st, um, our program that is, uh, you'll get a 10% discount um, for signing up early. There you go. Cool. Ten percent discount when you mention the team house. Yeah. And uh, I, I think the the other thing I wanted to ask you, Jeff. Uh, maybe we'll probably be wrapping it up in a, in a little bit here. Um, but if you could talk about your transition out of the military, being you know this high performing operator, you're a sniper. Um, all the all of these things, and then transitioning into you know now you're an entrepreneur, small business owner. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Jack. Um, so this is something that I think that a lot of soldiers, 
I don't know if I would know. You know what? I'm going to back up. Some people struggle with it getting out. And then some people, it, their transition happens a little better. I was very fortunate that I went right in, you know, head first into the entrepreneurial world. There was a lot of spillover from everything that I got from the military there. And so it really helped. It was a really exciting time in my life. A lot of things going on, uh, you know, things that uh, are weighing on me now, you know, like the TBI stuff wasn't really happening then. Mm-hmm. And so that it wasn't so bad. There was a lot of, you know, moving from one world that moves at that pace and moves like that and demands so much from people and is able to get it because they have the training, the funding, you know, all the stuff that goes with it into the real world. I was, I was shocked, you know, I was like expecting everyone to work like an operator and uh, it turns out, you know, that's not true. Uh, so that th- th- those kinds of things took a little bit of time to, to, to manage. Right. Um, and, and I know some dudes, you know, that, that identity, that new identity that's got to be forged because that's what the military does, right? They come in, they mold you into a soldier. Um, and after you're not a soldier, it's not right now, it's not fully their job. There is transition programs. So for guys who are looking to get out, take advantage of the transition programs for sure. Uh, unless you really feel like, no, I got this in the bag. Um, because as we're seeing the, uh, something like the suicide stats and stuff, are, are not they're not nice stats you know what i mean and uh um there are ways we can tidy that up and, it, and i think it starts with knowledge of programs to help you segue out mm-hmm. uh, that's where like and this is not a, a plug I, but programs like the trials anything that gets you in a group gets you talking mm-hmm. uh expressively i know a lot of guys don't like to be vulnerable but you gotta open up you gotta talk you have to do that to make sense as your brain is readapting to this new reality mm-hmm. um in my case, you know, an entrepreneurial world, which um, did help. Uh, th- I would also say uh, things like the reserves, you know, to slowly transition outwards. Um, I did do a little bit of time there. I wish I could have did a little bit more. Just not, it wasn't a possibility. Just to like undo some of what you've right, you know, right. turned into. Ease into it. Um, yeah, the, it, it was, it, it's been, a, it's been great. Um, um, yeah making the most out of life here. Jeff, I think it's interesting. Uh, and we've talked about this with our other guests too, um, that you mentioned this broad umbrella of post-traumatic stress that, that they paint all veterans with. Mm-hmm. And yet I think that often what we find with special operations vets is, is it, it seems to be less of the, uh, you know, the intrusive thoughts of, of past experiences in Afghanistan, like the, the, the classic ideas of post-traumatic stress and more of what like you're describing is this inability to transition from, from here to here, you know, that you, you leave that position and now you have no, you, you have no purpose. You can't find the same type of mission. You can't find the same type of camaraderie, you know, the, the same type of challenge. Um, mm-hmm. Do you, in addition to all the TBI, all you know, all the breaches and, and explosions and everything, do you feel like did at some point somebody tell you that you had post traumatic stress and that just didn't feel right to you, or like how did that? Process yeah, how did you end up getting diagnosed with TBI? That, that's an interesting oh, question. Yeah. Okay. Well, there quite a bit there, so let's yeah, try to sorry. untangle this a little yeah. bit. Um, one, I think, as you climb any ladder you know and people are either falling off or by their own 
you know, volition leaving, you know, retiring out of the military and you keep climbing it, you're getting in a little bit deeper. You're actually kind of moving down a little bit in a way, not, not like negatively down, but it's like, no, I want more of that. I want more of that. My character's being molded for more and more and more. So the, those, and again, I'm going to use a word here. Don't get the hackles up. You know, resilience is actually built more. That's, you know, SF training builds operators to be more resilient than the level below you know and as you keep going that keeps happening and those people have more of a drive to move towards that so i think uh you've you know you've ran through the scenarios in your head of what can happen a lot more um you've seen a lot more which builds up those resilience you know you've learned how to adapt to all the shit that's out there that's going to be thrown the soldiers way um a lot of soldiers um come in really young, hot-headed, really no clue what the military is. They come in, boom, they're overseas, uh, you know, bombs are going off, people are dying. And it's like, okay, I never really stopped and thought about this and prepped my mind. Now I have that kind of thing coming from it. And then like with the operator, uh, it's a little bit more like, uh, yeah, yeah, you just don't kind of turn it off. And, but they're at a point, and uh, I, I'm gonna speak kind of generally, they know how to seek out um, things about themselves and others and tools. That's what you do. Like it, it, I, I, I might speak out of turn a bit, Jack, but like the SF operator is always looking for the new tools, right? How to be better, how to be better. That's, that's what you're looking for. So when you move out, you're still looking for that. You're like, okay, well now how do I be better this way, this way? How do I show up better? How do I control it? Okay, man, that's not showing up. Well, how do I fix that? You know, that, that intensity is still there. So that helps that, but it's like, you know, chasing the dragon, you know, once you've kind of found the dragon and then you're not finding the dragon, it's hard to find that again. Um, so that, that is that challenge. And then things like TBI can be very insidious, you know, sometimes they're bam and it's there, uh, but concussive damage can take a long time to manifest. And then, you know, you come out, maybe you start drinking for two months and you know, start falling down the hole a little bit more. And then maybe you're arguing with a wife, you know, there's a whole bunch of things in the chain that can set it off. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, that purpose, um, finding purpose, very, very important because like you said, the mission is dictated to you at the military. You show up at this time, you do this, and then we're going to go to this. And sometimes you don't really know the depths, but it's given to you. And now you have to do that yourself. And as easy as that seems, it's not that easy, especially to find things that, you know, satisfy your soul, but, but there are ways to do that. And then like, for me, it was just a little bit over time, a little bit over time, a little bit over time. And then, uh, last year was particularly challenging, uh, because Jess is American, I'm Canadian and the border issues, that was a nightmare. And then my uh, mom passed away. And then, uh, there was like just these things that happened, 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 happened. And then it triggered off. And then, um, with the work we do, we're advocates for post-traumatic growth. You know, there, there's ways to turn almost all of this into a positive and it goes well beyond just reframing something into an opportunity. There's a lot of tools. So we're, I was already very aware of that. So when I started feeling the other side of it and then the diagnosis began, I was like, it doesn't feel right. Um, Cause I started digging in. I was like, well, you know, I saw things that people, most people don't see, but it didn't, you know, I, I was prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to, you know, get it into my head, incorporate it into my being in a proper, healthy way. I don't think it's that. It's not that. It's not that. And then that's where, like, you know, TBI starts looking. It's like, oh, shit, you know, that can manifest the exact same things. Mm-hmm. Um, and luckily, most of the tools are similar 
to get you there um, because it didn't like you said it just didn't resonate right i was it, it was like no that, that's not it it's something a little bit more and as they you know as psychologists and doctors especially neuroscience like neuroimaging brain sciences expand what what it is mm -hmm. uh, they'll see that it's it can manifest very similar but there's a lot of roads to get there um and uh yeah luckily i just happened to be researching the opposite side of the coin with post-traumatic growth um, um which gives you a lot of antibodies towards it that's really fascinating and um i can see how it must be very frustrating for people who have tbi because if it's misdiagnosed and they're sending you to therapy for ptsd but you're not getting any better right. because you've been misdiagnosed and it's actually a physiological issue with, with your, your brain. Just uh, kind of FYI, not FYI, but I, I would say they're all physiological issues. Something is happening where your neuronal, your neurons are not firing properly or they're wired improperly, or there's parts of your brain that aren't uh, working in tandem with the other parts of the brain properly. So I think they both show up like, but exactly, Jack, now you're showing up and you're like, Okay, now I'm a little bit mad <laughs> that I have to sit here right. um, and I, I'm having to hoist aboard all these guys' heavy stories. You know, they got their own journeys they got to go through. Um, right. So definitely, um, you know, check the hubris at the door because you got to know, okay, am I, was I, um, I don't want to use the word weak, but was I vulnerable to something and experience or was no, 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 I wasn't vulnerable. It's something else. And with the military, especially guys with combat, you don't have to look too far. I, I even think, you know, shooting, even just shooting a service rifle, like a 226 or something enough with no ear pro um, can, can do something, you know, it, it's got enough wall up. Yeah. And uh, being on helicopters and stuff like that, it all, it all pegs out the blast, uh, the pressure meters um, in testing. Yeah, exactly. I remember wearing the pressure meters and I don't know how many times they were red, you know, for, so many scenarios <laughs> you start shooting big rifles big long guns yeah 50 cal yeah. uh it, it i mean it's been known to detach retinas you know uh mink uh says 2021 is the boss level <laughs> here we come guys coming in hot uh brad wants to ask you uh, your opinion about psychotropic drugs to treat tbi and ptsd okay let's just uh <laughs> know that i'm not a doctor and this is just for fun fungitainment right <laughs> so I'll, I'll give an opinion this is my opinion i think they have a huge place so one thing that happens with uh, ptsds picture um little pathways in your brain you know certain parts might be shut down certain parts might be working but they're really solid pathways and think of the guy or gal who's like shut in in their house they don't even want to go for groceries their life has been limited down to like a few neurons and they fire a lot and they're caught in these overwhelm or feedback loops and they can't break it psychedelics um, can definitely come in and they that give it a little shake up that on its own without proper integration i think is nothing um i would like to believe that most people can integrate safely but i, I don't believe that i think with that shake up um they call it brain entropic theory They're, they play around a lot with this with the psychedelics uh, especially like a psilocybin or an ayahuasca or something i think they can have a um a huge healthy impact i just can't negate the integration because if you go in and now you shake something up 
who knows what you're going to see or how you're going to experience it. You need to bring it back in a healthy way. That means like eating, sleeping, exercising, all the things to make sure your hormones and neurotransmitters are super healthy, that your body's moving properly, that you're breathing right. You know, there's a, you got to make sure that, that, so you rebuild proper habits over the old junk that you're trying to get away with. So in a nutshell, yeah, I, I definitely believe in them. Um, I do know, I, I, yeah, I, it's definitely a good thing. It's it's kind of on the forefront, and um, it, it, yeah, this stuff's tried and, tried and true. And like Amazon, Amazonians have been using ayahuasca for thousands of years. Like they have been part of human culture forever, and most of them used them in that kind of way, where it was like, okay, you know, Joe's not doing so good. Uh, let's give him a little shake up, and then uh-huh. you know, reintegrate them. Um, so yeah, they definitely have their place. I uh, so. Uh, Jeff, I was going to ask you if you could stick around for like a, a 10 minutes to do the bonus segment with us, if, if you have a moment, uh, if that's cool with you. Uh, what am I getting into, Jack? Or, I'm just I'm going to ask you. It can actually Eat be almost dealer's anything. choice. Yeah, it, it kind of is. Um, but just wrapping up here uh, for this uh, segment, thank you, everyone, joining us, uh, our first show of 2021. Really looking forward to what we got coming on this year. We got guests scheduled all the way into you know mid-April. If you go back and you look at our New Year's message we published, I walked through the whole the whole list of people. Next well next week next Friday, uh, Nick Brockhausen. You guys have asked for Nick many many times. We have him coming on the show. He is a veteran of MacV Sog in Vietnam. Authored two books, We Few and Whispers in the Tall Grass. Um, so we're really looking forward to our conversation with Nick. Um, please make sure you like, uh, subscribe and share the video and subscribe to the channel. And there's also a link down in the description to our Patreon page. If you want to support what we're doing here and get access to the bonus segments that we film. And also, uh, once again, Jeff's website, the special forces experience.com. So uh, go check them out. Any final thoughts, anything you, uh, I failed to cover that you, you, uh, want to put out there, Jeff? No, that was great guys. All right. Jeff, thank thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much, and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Take care, everyone. Have a good night. Okay. That's it. That's it for the stream. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.